0: Hey, welcome to the NOLS 24-7 podcast. Brendan Sinone here joining me, Chris Nee, Josh Newberg. Guys, congratulations on getting through National Signing Day 2018. You both look like you're uh, dead inside. I'm good. Mm. I'm great. I'm great, Brendan. We've it's good to be here. I love it. Hi, everybody. Feels insincere. So what we're going to do here is kind of recap signing day. Uh, game plan is to get this done pretty quickly so Newberg doesn't fall asleep or overdose or whatever he's doing over on the other end there in, uh, in St. Pete. I want to do a position-by-position position rundown of how the playoffs materialized, and then finish it up with a quick look to 2019. Uh, before we go down to the positions to kind of show you guys or, or sum up what happened, uh, let me ask you, and I'll start with you, Josh, what was the most surprising development of this past week in your mind? Mm, the most surprising development was
1: just seeing all the chips fall in Florida State's way, that from really from the end of the visit weekend to signing day, um, of course, there was probably two big surprises on signing day. Um, what, one was James Foster going to Texas A&M, and the other was probably Anthony Grant flipping to Florida State. Um, just in terms of the way things changed from Sunday to Wednesday, I'd say um, FSU didn't feel real great about Anthony being able to flip Anthony Grant. They did feel good about James Foster, and then you know things kind of get weird in those final forty-eight hours before signing day.
0: Cool. So uh, so I asked you for one thing and you gave us like four. Chris? Yeah,
2: he stole mine. I was going to take whichever one of Grant or Foster he didn't take. Tad on that with Grant, Virginia Tech was hammering FSU's running back room, how talented and deep it is. Grant didn't care. He's game for competition. It's a good sign. It's something that I know the coaching staff here was kind of like, you know, he's either going to choose to be competitive or take the easy road. He chose to be competitive. And with Foster, you know, I thought it was LSU coming out of the FSU visit being the competition to FSU, and I thought he was going to FSU. Obviously, that didn't play out that way. John Garcia, who works in Alabama for us, does an excellent job. He spoke to James on Monday, I believe it was. might have been Tuesday, day start running together. At that point, Foster had kind of informed him that he had committed to A&M on a visit to A&M. Damian Craig was his main connect there, but FSU had given him pause I don't think he made the final decision until around midnight to 1 a.m. Eastern time on a National Signing Day Eve going into National Signing Day. So that was an interesting one. It is what it is, and those are the two I got. James Foster's public enemy number one in the Sinone household right now. <laughs> I'm sorry I sent you to Alabama. There was confidence on Monday when we made plans, There wasn't on Wednesday when I called, called you you. <laughs> yeah, you can turn around. Yeah,
0: it wasn't the drive in Alabama. We knew it was a calculated risk, and I stayed at a hotel in, I don't know how to pronounce it, Ufala? Ufala? I think so. Ufala, kind of in between the, the Georgia and Alabama border right there, two and a half hours north of Tallahassee. Um, and then I left early in the morning to go to Montgomery to cover it, and... It wasn't going to fall, Falla. it was more the Montgomery ride in the morning and the abrupt uh, U-turn somewhere in the back roads of Alabama to get back. The good yes. news is I got like a Dodge Charger as a rental car and was able to just go 100 miles an hour back. When you Pissed called,
2: off. When you called and asked me if you should turn around because of the rumors of A&M, Neither of us were having it, we just weren't in the mood to talk to one another. We I, weren't happy people. At the
0: I think it was the first time we've I was coordinating like
2: four commitments, <laughs> and you were driving in the middle of Alabama, neither. So, it was the
0: first time we were legitimately irritated with each other simultaneously. I just wanted to
2: do what you wanted to do. I really I wasn't here to hold your hand,
0: I just wanted to know where to go, where to drive to. Yeah, so, anyways, Josh is losing interest. Let's go down by position, and we're going to start with quarterback they didn't get. I guess how significant was not getting Foster? Willie Taggart said he wanted a quarterback, didn't feel like they needed one. Do you guys kind of agree with that while looking at the quarterback room and where it is right now?
2: Well, it was clear they wanted one with pursuing Emery Jones and then James Foster over the final two months, but was it a necessity? No, I wouldn't say that. I think it's more important to go get an exquisite town in 2019 I think either of those guys, if they land them in 2018, are good talents, guys that can help with depth and maybe develop into good players. But they weren't – you know, you can get a better player in 2019 than they were looking at in 2018.
1: I think it was a significant loss on signing day in terms of, you know, wins and losses. There's no doubt
2: about it. Losing James Foster to Jimbo
1: Fisher stings. But overall, in the greater context of the class, I mean, you know, they slow played Michael Penix. Um, They really – weren't interested in adding a guy just to simply add a guy. So um, while I think that James Foster is a loss, I don't think it's something that they're not going to be able to overcome. They know what they have on the roster and they know what's coming up in 2019. So it just puts a bigger premium on a quarterback in 2019. That's about it.
0: All right, let's move on to running back. Uh, you guys kind of touched on Anthony Grant. He was a Tennessee commit. They flipped him uh, and that was a guy they didn't necessarily feel super great about, but, uh, I guess getting a running back, the room is loaded. Uh, you obviously have talent staggered throughout the roster of that position. Uh, but where does Anthony Grant fit in? Uh, what do you guys like about him uh, specifically?
2: Compact, powerful, with good speed, and willing to put his shoulder down and run through people. Um, was, it, was it needed? No. Um, I mean, that room's loaded. There's tons of talent. But they're going to use a lot of backs. Backs tend to get banged up. It's not a bad idea. If you like a guy and he's valuable and you're willing to spend a scholarship on him and he's worth that scholarship, go ahead and take him. Plus, you keep him out of the ACC at another opponent at Virginia Tech. So it's kind of an added bonus in that sense.
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, just to add on to what Chris said, um, I just think he brings a different skill set what, than what Florida State has on the roster. I mean, yeah, he's similar to Jacquizz Patrick, but Patrick hasn't really run like we've wanted to see him run. And also, Patrick only has one more year, so he can kind of fill that bruising back role once Patrick leaves.
0: I mean, also, I think Pimpleton, Dante Pimpleton, the running back coach, said he was a uh, all—I uh, don't know if it's all-state or all-conference defensive player, too. Yeah. If you watch his film; he plays linebacker at a fairly high level. So you have, you know, some special teams value, I would imagine. Um, and man, it's cool that he he committed to Florida State with that running back room. I think that says a lot about. His character, or at least his competitive uh, nature, which I I think is encouraging going forward.
2: Yeah, plus, how about that recruitment? I mean, basically, two weeks you offer him. I believe he was actually at Tennessee on his official when they offered him, and you flip him. I mean, Mm -hmm. that, that shows the power of relationships, don't always matter because he had better relationships with Virginia Tech and Tennessee. Um, Tennessee as a school, Virginia Tech as a staff, than he did with FSU, and they still got him because the official wouldn't press so much.
0: Speaking of the power of relationships, it's a good segue there, Chris, or I guess I'm doing the segue, so good show, Brendan with the segue. Warren Thompson uh, out of Armwood, and we'll let Josh talk about that, but Willie Taggart was really uh, thumping his chest with the Armwood curse and talk about relationships being three years in the making to, uh, to break the quote-unquote curse. We had David Kelly, the wide receivers coach, talk about it as well. On the signing day party, so certainly something that the staff was happy about to to break the the quote-unquote curse. Right, Josh? <laughs> yeah,
1: this was meant to be. A, I talked to the Armwood boys after, after signing day was over, and both of them had a similar message. Um, both of them really wanted to play for Willie Taggart, but neither of them really wanted to go 3,000 miles away to do it. And they both, I asked them each, you know, when they saw the news that Taggart was leaving for Florida State, you know, did you know in that moment? And both of them just got a huge smile on their face and essentially said the same thing, that, you know, the world works in mysterious ways. And they kind of got the best of both worlds in this scenario. Um, But Florida State not only added Warren Thompson, they added Jordan Young and Trayshawn Harrison uh, and Keyshawn Helton. So that's a healthy wide receiver class along with Demarcus Adams you got both size and you got speed Um, on the top end of the class where you got Treshawn Harrison, Jordan Young, and Warren Thompson. I think you're looking at three guys that can come in and contribute right away. Um, The slot position is is a little bit trickier with DJ Matthews, definitely going to take over a bigger role there. I think moving forward gives DeMarcus Adams and, and Keyshawn Helton some time to grow in that system. But there's no doubt in my mind we're going to see those three top wide receivers on the field this year in
2: 2018. Yeah, it's a whole new world when you're talking about freshman receivers contributing at FSU. It's kind of refreshing. What? Um, I entirely agree. I think Trayshawn Harrison is arguably the best player in the whole damn class. His film's electric, what he can do, what they want to do with him in the offense. He's a guy that they earmarked as their dude for their offense when they were at Oregon, and it carried over to FSU. That was entirely relationships – they did a great job with that recruitment. Having him meet with the president was pretty important. Definitely made an impression upon him and mom. Keyshawn Hilton. I found it funny on their official national signing day release, they listed him as an athlete, not a receiver. Now he's almost certainly going to be on offense, but I think that is an attribute to the fact that he's very much a, just get the ball in his hands. He can yeah. do the backfield. He can do, you know, swinging jets. He can be a slot. He can be a receiver all day. And he's a returner. An they mentioned guy. that as definitely well. a return yeah. man too. I think the most impressive thing about the receiver hall is that they needed four or five. They got five. Mm -hmm. They've added depth. And the thing is, I don't really feel like they added a body just to add it. Helton would probably be the guy that you would point to as that, or maybe Adams. Both of those guys are very talented. Adams was wanted by a lot of big-time schools, and Helton was a guy that was under-recruited to some degree. But he certainly fits whatever he wants to do under Willie.
0: And if you're gonna take, I don't want to call it a flyer on a guy, but but someone that's maybe not an elite like a Trayshawn Harrison, Warren Thompson, um, then you got to find a guy that has does something well. And yeah. Demarcus Adams is as far as just running downfield. I mean, he's got a four one of the fastest guys Florida State has signed Get vertical. Yeah, exactly. He can do that well. And that's how
2: I think it was Walt Bell at the party spoke about him very mm -hmm. much in those terms, that he's a guy that's going to stretch the field for us.
0: Yep, so he does that at an elite level. Now, can the other parts of his game kind of catch up? And then then with Helton, too, you mentioned his athleticism. That was what's cool about that class. All five of those guys, really eclectic, like guys that do different things well. Harrison's kind of the complete wide receiver. Jordan Young, you see the upside with how he's he's a track guy. You see his ball skills on the highlight tape. The Abusement Park, I think is what he calls it. Yes, um, great name. Warren Thompson. They, you know, David Kelly said he thinks he's closer to 6'5 and 6'3, so you have a red zone monster kind of deal there. Uh, Demarcus Adams, we mentioned. So all kinds of different guys. They wanted to get, I think Willie said 11 scholarship receivers. Uh, yeah, in a room. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, not in the class.
2: They, they like um, using basically 7 to 8 on a field in a game yep. at a given time. They, they're not a three-guy rotation type of receiver core. They want multiple guys to do different things.
0: So, so those five that they have, plus he he said that they had five on signing day.
2: Now four, you go, four healthy, four healthy. With George yeah. Campbell still. If you go ahead and,
0: and count that, the four George Campbell coming back. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's one of five. The one that's probably not playing in the spring. Terry, be,
2: Gavin, DJ Matthews, and NyQuan Murray.
0: So Devontae Phillips not accounted for. Yeah. Uh, if you're going off of those numbers, yeah. uh, worth, worth noting. But but yeah, then I think we maybe we see guys switch uh, positions. Possibly is something to keep on the radar to kind of bolster that depth. Anyways, moving on. Tight end, they only signed one. They needed one. It was a position. Man, they really wanted to keep Brian Izzo. Josh, you've talked about that before. They weren't able uh-huh. to. So it made that a priority. They needed to get a body in that room uh, to kind of supplement Trey Kitty, who we think highly of, but obviously not a lot of experience. So they get Cameron McDonald from California. I guess what does he bring to the table?
2: He's a hybrid. Um, they, Chris? Hybrid. Hybrid. <laughs> he's a hybrid. I mean, he's a guy who's a big receiver at this point of his career who will develop more into a tight end in his college career. And that's what they want at that position. They yeah. want a guy who can be a downfield receiver at that position. They're not looking for an inline blocker. They're looking for a guy who's capable of chip blocking and doing some things at the line of scrimmage. But they want a receiver at the tight end spot. And Cam McDonald is more so a receiver today than a tight end.
1: Yeah, but he's going to be in the tight end position for Florida State. Don't you know? Yeah, he's going to flex out and do some things, but like he's going to be a tight end. They, they, that's what they recruited him to be—a tight
0: end in their system. Yeah, Telly Lockett, the tight ends coach, said it well in the war party, or at least I, I thought their plan that made sense. He said he's right now he's a big wide receiver and we're turning him into a tight end and he's a guy who's going to be able to, again, you stretch the field vertically. That should be music to your ears if you're a Florida State fan, by the way. Uh, taking a lot of shots downfield is what they want to do. We'll see if they do it, but... Uh, certainly that's a guy who has the athleticism. He's a basketball type of player. Uh, I think he actually played basketball in high school and and plays tight end like that too. So let's move on to offensive line now. Four guys that they signed, Christian Meadows, Christian Armstrong, Jalen Goss, and then Chaz Neal was a defensive end commit for a long time. Josh, you'd kind of been banging the drum that he was possibly a a tackle and looks like he's going to to tackle. So Newberg, uh, your thoughts on on that group, uh, those four as it stands
1: is a solid group. Um, I wouldn't say anybody at the offensive line position really jumps off the page at me that it's a guy that's ready to contribute right now. Um, Yeah, as far as Chaz Neal goes, I mean, I think his his highest upside, if you will, is probably offensive line, but he's not a guy that I think is going to really factor in or contribute at Florida State at least not anytime soon. Um, You know, I think as far as the class goes, it's probably stronger on the interior. Uh, Greg Fry said something about Christian Armstrong, maybe playing guard, not, not just tackle. We know Meadows is going to be a, a, a guard. He's solid. Um, but like I said, I don't think any of these guys are ready to see the field or push for playing time right away. So it's more of a developmental group this year. And I think they'll, they'll you know swing for the fences in, in 2019 and land some ready-made offensive linemen.
2: Yeah, my biggest takeaway from listening to Greg talk about the O-line is he kind of defined what he wants in an offensive tackle. He used Jalen Goss to define that. Long, lean, athletic, willing to be physical, Mm -hmm. capable of being strong, real good frame to build on. Goss is certainly that. He's not going to be a guy that probably contributes for a year or two because he simply has to get bigger. He's relatively thin. He's about 265, but that's what I see. And then Meadows is a guy that I'm personally a fan of. Christian camped at FSU a couple summers ago and was outstanding. And he is a little hefty. There's some bad weight on there that he's going to have to kind of reconfigure. But he can ball, and he's not scared of being physical. If they're going to go north-south of mall people, he does that.
0: And, and, and you kind of look at the class. Uh, Josh mentioned developmental. That's kind of what it looks like. Um,
2: well, it's uh, three guys and another. I, I don't I'm, – I'm, if Chaz Neal develops into a first-round NFL draft pick, I will eat every bit of crow humanly imaginable. Uh, I'll put that down. Through. I just don't expect anything from him watching him work out at camp at FSU last year. He was horrendous. All right. That's, that's that. a nice you're way to say make he you was eat, horrible. Eat a crow. He has a great frame, long wingspan and is a fairly athletic guy for that size, but man, he just, nothing else about him is positive to talk about.
0: I think what, so you see, I mean, that's a developmental guy, a really, really, really big developmental guy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, for a class the year before where they only had Brady Scott, correct? Yeah. So it's two classes in a row where the depth isn't – there's not that surefire kind of I – and mean, it's always tough with the line, but not that blue blood type of guy that you bring into the program like a Rod Johnson that you say has a chance to start from day one and be a building block. That makes 2019 a priority for them? Yeah, that they
2: need to get four to five quality linemen. They need to get consistent at taking four to five per year. Yeah. Stop with the eight and one, one in the next. It screws up the numbers and yeah. it causes a lot of issues. That's a position where you got to take guys and develop them. Yep. It's extremely important to develop them. So
0: that's something they're kind of
2: rectifying. There's buying. very few ready made offensive linemen in the world.
0: Yes. Yep, And that's the hardest position to evaluate, I think, at pretty much every level, too, because there's so much, so many variables with their size and how they develop. All right. Uh, defensive line, a uh, really, really good group. Uh, arguably, maybe outside of wide receiver, the, the best group that they had. Eh, cornerback was really good, or defensive back was too. But, anyways, the depth here was good. The versatility is good. We got, uh, let's see, look down the list Xavier Peters, uh, defensive end, 174 nationally. Malcolm Lamar, 222 nationally. Dennis Briggs, 324 overall nationally. Jamarcus Chapman's at 508, and I think was probably a little bit on the underrated side. So four really nice guys with the ability to play a couple different positions, possibly. Yeah, and then you
2: have Cooper, Robert Cooper on the interior. And a
0: tackle and he's a true yes. Yeah,
2: he's the nose. He lines up in the middle and gobbles up space. Coop's a very talented dude. Xavier Peters is going to be a field end for them. Very good get-after-the-quarterback, come-off-the-edge kind of guy. Jamarcus Chapman, to me, is kind of a mix of a field and boundary guy, Mm -hmm. big end. Um, he carries his weight extremely well, and he has a great first step. He's a more explosive D-end than Malcolm Lamar or Dennis Briggs. He, Briggs is very thick in the middle, and they call him thick-boned, and I think that's a great definition of him. He looks like a guy that's going to develop into a D-tackle, but they want to use as a boundary big end. Mm-hmm. And then Malcolm Lamar is huge. He's 300 is what they said. Yeah. And Josh, definitely from watching him you know, at the signing ceremony and talking to him, doesn't disagree with 300 pounds being a mark for him, but he's very athletic at 300. He's a basketball sized kid who moves fairly well. And he's another big end who can also work. Was inside. he
0: 300 playing senior year? No, I don't think so. I think he was probably what? 270? 275,
2: 280. So he's a kid that definitely fluctuates. some.
0: Yeah. So kind of, but he's big, like you say, he's athletic, his frame can support more, but then you kick him inside. So I think that's kind of with, with at least three of those defensive linemen with, with Chapman Briggs, and Lamar, um, you kind of see the upside for, for all three to either be ends or interior guys. And I think you just kind of play around with it and see, see how they develop physically.
2: And they needed big ends. That was the number Mm -hmm. one focus at that position in this class. They have guys that can shoot off the edge. Kando obviously probably being the best one. Burns also kind of an outside backer type. I think Burns and Xavier Peters are going to be similar Mm -hmm. Mm casts. Like they're going to play the same role. Um, so, it's going to be interesting to see. Snyder was very excited about the group. Adele was very excited about the group. I know Woody was involved with Peters a lot. He was very excited about Peters. So, it's pretty clear that they like it. They like the mix of it. And they feel like they really addressed probably their other biggest need beyond a receiver.
1: Yeah, I feel like top to bottom, this was a really solid reload at the defensive line. I love the versatility, like you said. Um, you add a big anchor like Cooper. Uh, I think that's important. And um, – These are guys that maybe, you know, the good thing is they're not going to be asked to contribute from day one, but I could see some of these guys rotating in as the season goes on. So I think it's a talented and versatile group and just a much-needed infusion of talent all all across the board.
0: Yeah, Willie Taggart said on signing day that you can never have too many edge rushers, and that's Mm -hmm. and again, you get versatile type of guys. Uh, That's that's good news for Florida State as you kind of reload and and reestablish that position. Uh, Let's move on to linebacker. Only one correct, and that's Amari Gainer. It's a good one. Yeah, Are uh, you guys I mean, surprised? Well, I, for, let's
2: touch well, on Amari. They wanted James Miller. They yeah. didn't get James Miller. He would have been an inside thumper, two-down backer. Mm-hmm. Um, Peters can fill in a role at linebacker if needed. While they call him a DN, I think he's more of a field kind oh, of that, outside That boy's going to be
0: 260 by the time yeah, he Yeah, I know, but he, he, he can do boom. some
2: things in space currently in his yeah, game, he is and definitely. he's excellent at coming down and filling a gap. So mm-hmm. out of necessity, you can do it. Um, Amari, they called him the quarterback killer. I think Amari's best football, without a shadow of a doubt, is ahead of him. Mm-hmm. He took a big leap forward as a senior when Coach Pettis arrived at Charles, mainly because Coach Pettis was finally a coach that understood held to hell to use the kid. Um, very good off the edge, very quick, loves playing the game, has a great attitude. Amari's the he's a glue guy in every which way, and he's also really talented. He gets along with everybody. He obviously was a big piece of the recruiting puzzle for this class. I think he's going to develop really well as he fills out his frame. He likes being at FSU. He's very much taken to the program quickly. He's a good backer. That's a position where they're going to have to address needs in 2019, but there wasn't a ton of good talent out there in the late period for them to go after.
0: Agreed. <laughs> All right. I, I like Gaynor. He's he's a uh, prototypical uh, modern-day linebacker. could do a lot of different things, so he, he's a good one to have because he's going to be uh, pretty malleable, but – yeah, they're gonna have to load up, I think, next uh, next class, which we'll get to in a little bit. All right, let's finish off with defensive backs, and surprise, surprise, Florida State uh, did well there. Jaden Woodby, safety, ranked number 34 overall nationally. AJ Litton, number 50. Asante Samuel Jr., number 60. And Isaiah Bolden is your quote-unquote worst defensive back at 231 overall. So uh, four blue chippers uh, in that secondary, and uh, Newberg, I guess, take it away. It's a good group, huh? yeah very solid group I think um of the of the four I
1: think Woodby has a shot to come in and play early um I think Knighton and Samuels needs to put on some weight and Isaiah Bolden you know he, for as much as he talks um he needs to kind of mature uh, add weight I, I don't see him being a day one contributor at all but um I think would be is, and I think Asante Samuel could end up being one of the best in the class, period, in the entire class um, when it's all said and done after his career at Florida State's over.
2: Yeah, I agree with Josh wholeheartedly on Samuel. 247's ranking of him was freaking atrocious. Um, and I don't really get like hot about rankings, I don't really care. I've been in those meetings, they're not real enjoyable. But
0: You're legitimately.
2: Asante Samuel off is a badass. He is, if if he was two inches taller, he would be talked about as one of the top five, ten best players in the country. It's completely height discrimination with him. You put <laughs> It is. You put on a film, he dominates. He went to Under Armour. He was outstanding. I don't remember a single play in the game where he got used upon. And in practice, he was regularly pressed. The kid's a damn dog, and he's outstanding. He... He can play day one if he wants to. The only problem for him is that there's a lot of real good talent at cornerback at FSU. So it's kind of like Stanford Samuel's situation last year. You may have to wait your turn a little bit, but he's going to see the field. He's outstanding. I think Baldwin's a safety all day. Always have. I was going to ask you will, if he was a cornerback he, or a safety. He can play corner; he can get away with it. But he's better at safety. Plus, he's physical. Yeah. Cool and Harlan Barnett wants physicality. And I think Barnett's a safety in his mind in some ways. And I think he kind of will look at Baldwin that way. Woodby's definitely a safety; very good at what he does. I agree with Josh; he's probably a day one contributor out mm-hmm. of those four. And Linton's an outstanding athlete who has to learn some of the intricacies of the position at the next level. But he has a lot to work with. It's a really good group. They just keep stockpiling yeah. back there.
1: I agree. It's, it's overall it's it's up there with the D line class as far as most talented group that they signed.
0: All right. So do we want to do uh, I don't want to, superlatives? Do you want to go to twenty nineteen? I mean, you-
2: I think we kind of hit on a lot of that stuff. Uh, biggest win for me, I think, was that they address needs mainly receiver and D N. Biggest yeah. loss. Not getting a quarterback. You always kind of would like to have one. They obviously really wanted one at the end and didn't get it. Best player in the class, I would say Trashawn Harrison. That's kind of taking in consideration day one contributor as best player. And, uh, you know, Chad Neal is probably the worst player in the class by my. I don't think that's a superlative. Um, <laughs> well, uh, I think it's a good, The implication
0: is you're the best at some. <laughs> well, he's the best at being bad.
2: Um, so, those are some of the quick ones for well, me. The, overall, I think it's a really good class. It, you know, it's a transition class. Those usually have a good bit of did, dead weight in them. I don't think FSU has a lot of dead weight in this class. Maybe two, three guys that don't give you something down the road. Overall, I feel like it's a pretty good class for only having about two months to really put it together.
0: I. Th- I think that's the uh, the takeaway when you look at. You know, I think they finished number eleven
2: yeah, in the composite ranking. It's the best class by coach that yeah. came in after the season.
0: And no other. I mean, maybe because we're looking at it through through a micro or for their microscope, but no other. Coaching staff just literally quit recruiting, like Jimbo Fisher's yeah. did. Yeah, Willie uh, walked so into a very of, bad situation. I don't, I, again, maybe others were like that. I don't think they were quite that bad. Yeah. I, I don't think any situation where coach leaves is good. But this coach checked out clearly in hindsight, as we look at it, a month and a half, two months before he actually left. So the amount of of ground that they made up in a two month span. Uh, and even less than I mean, Willie was basically recruiting by himself in some of the holdovers with Odell added Telly Lockett. But for that first you know, week or two at Florida State with a, right before early signing period, I mean, he was doing that work himself.
2: Yeah, and you got to think of some of the time he devoted to guys like uh, J. Sean Corbin and Antoine mm-hmm. Green who went to A&M and North Carolina, respectively. He had to go see those guys because he liked them. They're mm-hmm. talented. They were former commitments. You have a shot with them. But in reality, they didn't have a shot with them down the stretch. Mm-hmm. Both eliminate them well before signing day. So you invested time on the front end of your job that first week when you were head spinning, you're trying to hire a staff, you're on the road constantly. They invested time on those guys and got no returns for it. So yeah. imagine if they kind of knew – Ahead of the game, that they didn't have to do that. It might have been, you know, potential going to get somebody and at least making them wait, not sign mm-hmm. in December, push it to January, see if you have a shot. They didn't have time to go do that with those kids. Well,
0: it's kind of what's crazy is they didn't have, um, you know, at, at, you, you talk about that, that truncated time period that, that Willie had early on before the, the early signing period. And then after, once that's done, uh, not only is it a month and a half and a race to the, you know, a sprint to the finish. It's also, there, there's not a ton of guys left at that point because of yeah. the early signing period. So the fact that he got him close to the top 10, and, and Josh, I want to get your thoughts because you've obviously seen Willie recruit at, at other stops before. It may be one of his most impressive jobs he's had at any of the stops he's had comparatively.
1: And what he did in such a short amount of time being handcuffed by the early signing period and limited talent pool, yeah. yeah. I'd say uh, what he did down the stretch was nothing short of amazing seeing the dominoes fall. I know I mentioned this, but just seeing the dominoes fall one after another, after that final visit weekend was uh really cool and got to, you know, you got to be optimistic about what the staff's going to do in 2019.
2: Yeah. Their hit rate right on guys that officially visited was outstanding.
0: in yeah, they closed. I mean, that's, And again, which is so little time and with the staff just getting in place, I think you saw the work ethic of that staff, how invigorated and energetic they are, the ability to connect and establish relationships quickly. I mean, that's all. Let's look at 2019 um, and we'll transition to there. I asked Willie about that at the press conference, just how, you know, if he's excited for what he's going to be able to do with a whole staff or with the whole year with the staff in place. He's like, yeah, we're going to be able to do some work. I thought he uh, he's clearly optimistic about what 2019 cycle is going to be.
2: I like that. He's realistic too. Mm -hmm. They don't pursue guys that they don't have a shot at. Yeah. Once you realize, they 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 understand how to cut bait and move on. Mm -hmm. And some staffs don't do that well. And they did that with Antoine green. Mm -hmm. It was basically, Hey, do you want to come here? No. Okay. Well, we look forward to hopefully playing you and beating you. Mm -hmm. Peace out. You know, I'm a fan of that. I don't like watching a staff invest multiple visits on a kid that they have no real shot at. So let's,
0: let's, pivot to 2019 um i guess maybe a place to start is a couple of the big needs we don't have to go too in depth on the board i think that's something later but josh you wrote about that i guess what are, when you look at 2019 and what fsu has to accomplish in that cycle what what stands out
1: quarterback quarterback quarterback, quarterback. um anytime you need a quarterback and, and you, you want an elite one that's always going to be the headliner um but after that, I mean, they still need to add to the wide receiver group. They need to get some big time offensive line. And we kind of outlined this in a story on Knowles twenty four seven yesterday morning. Check it out. Um, but you know, it's going to be
2: they're at, they're they're getting on it. It's going to be a good class. Um,
1: they're shooting for the number one class in America, nothing less. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes.
2: Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching the quarterback recruiting. Always an important position. There's some good talent out there. They've identified a handful early on. D-Tack was another spot where I think we're going to see Odell flex his muscles once again. Ishmael Sobsher, sure, who's a Louisiana kid. You know, most people would pencil him into LSU or Alabama. FSU's got some inroads there. It will be interesting to see how that translates with the new staff, with Odell being the carryover to Bridge in that situation. So watching that. And then IMG's freaking loaded for 2019. They're always talented, but, man, they got it, it's led by Nolan Smith. He's probably the best down there in 2019. But you could go to IMG and fill up a college roster and compete for a national title right now.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, and Josh, we don't have to go too much into it because it was a VIP article, but you mentioned some changes with Willie Taggart. I guess uh, I guess what are things that people can expect to be largely different than how, how the previous regime kind of handled evaluation, uh, stuff like that?
1: The, the rough strategy going in is they want to uh, – we've said this on the pod, but the motto is if we win Florida, we win meaning if they can recruit Florida better than anybody else, they're going to win on the field. Um, say they're taking a full class of 25, they hope to sign 18 to 20 from Florida. Um, they're they're going to go after the top 25 in Florida. Um, they know that they don't just want to sign bodies out of Florida, they want to sign the best. And they, their goal is to sign, of those top 25, they want to sign the best 15 in the state of Florida and then kind of supplement that with the best in the country as well. So... It's going to be a, a whole new emphasis on the state of Florida, kind of like what we saw when Jimbo Fisher first
2: arrived at Florida State.
0: Yeah, and they, and they kind of got away from,
2: from yeah, the end. They're also changing the camps, as Josh referenced. They're going to do more of a, like a showtime event. It might be a cookout, might be a junior day. They're kind of figuring out the logistics of it, but something that's going to be a focus on kind of closing out the summer strongly. Um, the camps are also going to be a little more chopped up, where it's going to be focused on receivers and dbs with quarterbacks instead of having everybody there have some seven on seven with big men as a person that goes to camps i welcome that it's Mm -hmm. easier to truly evaluate everybody that's there because when you have 350 kids working out at eight to nine positions at a camp you're bouncing around and you're going to miss some you're Mm going to miss reps that you need to see things like that i think it's better when you kind of make it smaller and more concise yeah um Good times. I'm, I think I'm, I'm, I'm up I'm on a cruise ship. I was going to say. Josh <laughs> is going to go into a coma for about a week. And then we'll be back for junior day.
0: And we'll be back for junior day. Um, yeah. Yeah, this was beautiful, guys. We wanted to do, well, Chris wanted 20 minutes. Josh wanted 10. I wanted 40. We're at 31. It's a happy medium, except for Josh, who got stuck longer than he wanted. Chris, enjoy the cruise. Josh, enjoy the coma. Guys, thank you for listening. We'll talk to you in about a Thanks. week or so. <laughs>